Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to the Double X Gab Fest for Thursday, August 24th, the 1800 Patriarchy Street Edition. I'm Hannah Rosen, a host of NPR's Invisibilia. I am not alone in the studio today. I am joined by our special guest, Christina Cotarucci, who is a writer for Slate. Hi, Christina. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's so exciting to be with a human in a space. <laughs> um, <laughs> how flattering. <laughs> Any human would do. Anyone, just, you know, warm body. Um, and June Thomas in New York, managing producer of Slate Podcast. Hi, June. Hey, Hannah. I'm really lonely because I'm here all on my own. It's terrible. I don't uh-huh. know how you do it. I'm so sad. I know. It's really sad. I did enjoy listening to the podcast that I was not on, by the way. <laughs> you guys did a great job. It well, was thank great. You. I loved it. What a thank great you. show. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, except it kind of like kept me watching The Bold Type is the problem, which is really not a show you should keep watching. And every week it becomes more like a safe space. And so every week I have to tell my children, the workplace is not like this. Your boss will not invite you to her home and pet you and hug you every time you look a little distressed. It does. That is not what work is like, people. Unless you work at Slate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, my God. Anyway, well, we have a very, very special show. This is my perhaps favorite show of the year. It's the show where you, our listeners, have called in and left us questions asking us if certain things that you've heard about in the news and the culture or in your own life, you are wondering if they are sexist. And we, the feminist goddess experts of the universe, get to decide whether they are sexist or not. So we are going to get that going. We'll play some of your messages, maybe not all of them. A couple of you wrote in. We may do those as well. And then a little about Slate Plus, June. And if anybody doesn't know what Slate Plus is, it's Slate's membership program where fans of the magazine and our podcast help to support us. And if you enjoy this podcast and find it valuable, joining Slate Plus is a great way to support us. For just $35 for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing these shows and of course in return you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and this week that extended version will include still more of the questions that you can only hear on Slate Plus so if you want to support the Double X Gab Fest go to slate.com slash xx plus and join Slate Plus today. I got to say something about our Slate Plus episodes. They are often the loosest and funniest, not by design. It's just like we get giddy in the Slate Plus. For some reason, it has a kind of magical effect. It's like a drug. So <laughs> I, you really should listen to the Slate Plus segments. They are raunchy and funny often. Wouldn't you agree, June? I would. I would. <laughs> They're the funniest <laughs> segments. All right. Should we begin? I'm drunk on power right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I guess kind of a two-parter. Essentially, with recent things about Josh Whedon in the news and Nick Robinson, my questions are, is it inherently sexist to have an affair? And secondly, is it always sexist to, as the kids say, slip into one's DMs? Um, love to hear you guys discuss it. Thanks so much. What? 
<laughs> Are you laughing because of the as the kids say? I'm laughing because of the uh, the note that um, was it. Uh, it Daniel? was from Daniel. Yeah. To left the the great note and correction that the kids actually don't say slip into one's DMs. They say slide. <laughs> yeah. So his kids are going to have a bone to pick with him. I also think it's the one's DMs. Like, I don't know <laughs> into one's direct messages. Yes. <laughs> slip into one's DMs. That's the grammatically proper way to say it. I have never said it. Either slip or slide. <laughs> So I have slide. done it. A slip and slide. You have and... done it? You've slipped into someone's well, DM? Well, does it have to be sexual? I mean, Yes. Oh, forget it. Sorry. No, I have not done that. I thought it just meant like a thing you do sometimes when you're sending someone a private. <laughs> no, it's not like you don't slip into someone's DMs to ask for career advice. <laughs> All right. I'm doubly embarrassed now. All right. So um, ah, there are so many questions here. Just to give a little bit of background in case folks haven't heard, Joss Whedon, who, of course, is the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and director of, you know, Avengers movies and so on, uh, King Geek uh, and a self-declared feminist. His ex-wife, Kai Cole, um, who they were divorced last year, uh, she wrote a letter that was published in The Wrap. It was a kind of open letter. Uh, that declared him a hypocrite. Um, She said that he had been deceiving her, that he was having affairs. But she said he's not who he pretends to be. You know, she said it was hypocrisy because he sets himself up as a feminist, but then he behaved in a very unfeminist manner. And she said that she, as a result, she had had PTSD from the sort of the, you know, the cycle of deception and, you know, the fact that she kind of couldn't trust her husband. Okay, so Christina, what do you think about his wife's letter? Um, I this is tough because I know that a lot of times people can do things that make them a jerk or a bad person, but it doesn't necessarily make them anti-feminist. At the same time, uh, you know, the personal is, as the kids say, political, and uh, you know, heterosexual relationships are some of those things where the patriarchal dynamics replicate where they find power and that's kind of how they've endured over time or one of the spaces where they've endured over time. So if, you know, you're in this heterosexual relationship treating the most important woman in your life like shit, you are saying in some way, I think, that women are a little bit less deserving of your respect. I also think there are a lot of ways to cheat. You can cheat and be immediately sorry. It's a lapse in judgment. You apologize. You never do it again. This doesn't sound like that kind of situation. Not that there's any good way to cheat, but it sounds like from, you know, she alleges that he was gaslighting her, that she confronted him about it. He denied it, acted like she was crazy, then tried to justify it to her. Um, This sounds like a particularly hurtful way to cheat that kind of demonstrates that he, you know, doesn't, doesn't think of this particular woman and perhaps women as a whole of deserving of his respect. I disagree. <laughs> okay, so I live inside the patriarchal machine that is the heterosexual marriage, so that should maybe be the caveat. What an address. Here. Wow. I know, I know, I know. It's like, uh, yeah, 1800 Patriarchy Street is where my house is. And, so, and I... Um, I think that the, his wife's letter was a total um, abuse of outrage, public feminist politics. That's a really shitty thing to say. But I don't think there's any relationship between lots of people cheat. Um, the rates of cheating for at least for people like under 35 are no higher for men than they are for women. Mm. I don't think there's a particularly good way to cheat. But I think your husband cheating on you um, is not does not have much to do with what his public persona is necessarily. And um, I think that uh, I think that there are ways in which men are hypocrites. Like, you know, I we talked about Casey Affleck a little bit. Like, I had a problem. Like, he was in this amazing movie. Not that he particularly claims to have feminist credentials. I see why. He, but, but, but the way he particularly treated the women who worked for him was problematic. He, he kind of kept making advances at women who were rejecting his advances. They're sort of well-documented kind of boorish behavior towards women who work for you or who are on your staff, having an affair to me is a different category because it's not necessarily 
like anti-feminist. It's just like you're a bad husband and and your wife can take it out on you for being a bad husband. But I don't think of having an affair as anti-feminist. Like men have affairs, women have affairs, men are jerks, women are jerks inside the context of their marriage. I can see why his wife would be like, oh, it makes me want to vomit when I read about when I read about him getting all these feminist credentials and all these women admiring him. But I don't think he's a hypocrite. I just think he's like a bad husband. So you feel like he's being given an extra bad rap because of his self-declared feminism? I just, when I read his wife's account of what he did wrong, Mm -hmm. I read an account of a guy who had an affair and was like a terrible husband. Like many people have affairs, men and women have affairs. I didn't find anything in the particular way that he had affairs that made me think, oh, that he was abusive, say, like he took advantage of his position of power, unless you guys think that it's inherently taking advantage of your position of power if you are the powerful director and you're having affairs with women who are probably younger than you and who work for you or I mean, who work with you. That is if a, that's inherently shitty, then I guess, yes, I guess, yes. This is I mean, it, it is – she, she, in her letter, she didn't name names, which I think was a good call. Uh, but it did seem that s- some of the affairs, which were, you know, supposedly or allegedly numerous, were with actresses who were kind of working for him, essentially. You know, he was in charge of their employment, essentially. Um, they were – in shows that he is he was casting and that he was directing and all of that that he was running essentially so mm-hmm. there was a power differential a power dynamic i mean i guess my let me ask then let's kind of go the the questioner asked is it inherently sexist to have an affair if you're not just sweden if you're not just sweden if you're not a you know a famous male feminist is it always sexist to have an affair i mean i guess no. the answer is no, no right no. So this is no, this but, is know, about the specifics I'm, of him. Yeah, this is so it is not we we can't agree it's not always sexist to have an affair. But we, there's like a gray area with – as I'm talking, I'm starting to back away from what I said <laughs> because now I'm remembering that people did say like there was a time when one of his actresses was pregnant and he got like really angry at her. Like there was something besides the just having an affair that was on the list of things. I thought that kind of outing your husband for having an affair and then being anti-feminist was unfair. But there was other stuff he did. Uh, another thing that she said uh, – again, you know, he hasn't responded to these allegations, but – she was saying that he described it as like, oh, all of a sudden I have this fame. All of these young, needy and aggressive women want to have sex with me and I can't touch them. It's like I have a disease. <sighs> That's a kind of a gross way to think about sex. Right? <laughs> and, you know, so maybe it's gross, but uh, maybe it's not anti-feminist. I happen to think that uh, the way he had these affairs over time, making her feel like she was crazy for for thinking it was happening, um, sort of stringing her along and justifying it to himself because he was this powerful director, uh, seems inherently anti-feminist to me. I agree that there's that affairs aren't always sexist. I think personally, if it's a man cheating on a woman, most of the time it is. Interesting. Why? Why is that any different than, you know, your girlfriend cheating on you? Because there's a different power dynamic there. I it, Maybe it's unfair to men, poor men. Um, but I think the fact that you are, it, it would be, it's similar. I think it's similar to, you know, if you're in a heterosexual relationship and the dude never cleans up after himself. So the woman is kind of either forced to clean up after him or live in a pigsty. Or if, you know... That's so interesting. So it just carries, even though it's two individuals in a room who are in a relationship, there's nothing you can... You can't get away from the fact that it just carries, like, baggage. Like, years of baggage and history. And it's not necessarily the individual man's fault. It's just the fact that he's in a man and this relation... Oh, this is so... Interesting. This is going to change my world. I'm going to have to move out of 1800 <laughs> patriarchy. Now. Except that, uh, you know, yeah, but, you I think know, that you sorry. can't get away from the fact that, you know, that men have been raised in a certain way, are socialized to behave in relationships in certain ways. I think that's why patriarchal dynamics, even in, you know, the woke bay relationships, a lot of times men will end up 
doing less housework. Women will end up doing more child care. I'm sure, you know, you guys have obviously talked about that on Double X before, but it's, uh, you know, no matter how good your intentions are, a lot of those uh, patriarchal dynamics end up getting replicated. And I think cheating is usually, you know, is just kind of another thing to add to that list. All right. So enough with Joss. The second part was about a video game journalist named Nick Robinson. And maybe we don't need to talk about Nick Robinson specifically, although I will tell you it is a great pleasure to read his shitty apology letter, which is just like all the Silicon Valley. It is hilariously like humble braggy and it's the worst apology ever, ever. Um, But slipping into the DMs, Christina O'Youth we sliding into the DMs. <laughs> Good. Thanks for not making me correct you. <laughs> is it one of these places where women get harassed online? Like, is that a phenomenon? Yes, definitely. I think, and for me, you know, as a young woman on Twitter who's a journalist and so, you know, has her name out there maybe more than the typical Twitter user, I will get men in my DMs all the time just saying like, hey, <laughs> hey there. And sometimes it'll be you're ugly and sometimes it'll be you're hot. But so many, it's just, hey. And it's annoying to feel like just because I'm a woman on Twitter, I have to deal with so many sliders sliding into my (laughs) DMs. Also, no one's ever asked me for a nude. And I hope that me saying that on this podcast doesn't encourage people to go and ask (laughs) me for one. But the the situation that this um, listener presents, uh, this guy, Nick Robinson, was asking women for nude photos, asking them to come give him blowjobs. That's a totally different. I think that the, you know, it's like being a woman in a bar. Men are going to come up and hit on you all the time. I think the fact that men do that more than women means it's a product of sexism. It doesn't necessarily mean that hitting on someone is sexist. But when you go so far as to be a prominent video game journalist asking women to send you nude photos randomly on Twitter when they're just trying to, you know, share a meme or maybe do their jobs because they're also a journalist or they're a PR person. Or or even in this case, they were his fans. It's still not cool. Like these were women who may have sent him admiring notes saying, I love your writing. This is so cool. Here's my video game. Whatever it is that they were sending to him, still not cool. Especially uncool, I think, because it's apparently a lot of the women were women who worked in the video game industry, which is a tough world for women to start off with. With, but then to also have to deal with a guy who had kind of a lot of power, you know, he's he's a writer, he's, he's on a popular podcast, he's a popular YouTuber in the gaming world. And so this was a guy who had power, not just this, you know, ambient, vague male power or, you know, the power of the patriarchy. He had particular <laughs> specific power. And there he was, instead of like, you know, respecting them and, you know, dealing with them as humans, it was just, you know... Can I have a nudie? Okay, so just to summarize, <clears throat> having an affair, not especially sexist. Joss Whedon, I think I was on the minority on that one. Sexist, that whole situation. He should he should have his feminist credentials at least partially removed, mm-hmm. right, June? That's where we landed on that one. Um, uh, sliding into women's DMs, sexist. I mean, unless it's like your friend or you have a question or you think it's like a legit... Yeah. Yeah. I think just reminding women who are just trying to be women that they're not only women, they're also, you know, sex objects when they're just trying to do their thing is sexist. Yes. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, my name is Allison. I'm a primary care provider in a suburban clinic in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. And I have a question um, for your hosts about, is this sexist? Um, I work in a clinic that has uh, men and women providers, and we are trying to hire a new provider uh, for our patients, but um, it's sort of a thing in primary care that men will go to men primary care providers and women will go to women primary care providers. And the truth is we would like to hire another male provider because we don't have a whole lot of male primary care providers that are open to new patients. Um, 
But I wonder if it's sexist because are we just perpetuating these preconceived notions that only men know men's issues? Um, or are we actually being super sensitive to patient needs and having the right providers for the right people? Certainly, if the roles were reversed, we would say that women should be able to see women providers. Anyhow, I'd be curious to know what your uh, panel would think. Thank you very much. Okay, so I am a little bit torn here because, you know, mm. I think as much as I, in some ways, my first response is, get over it, you know, see a provider. You don't you don't have to have the same gender identity, you know, to have your bunions treated. You know, so that's my first response. <laughs> At the same time, I do want to be aware that it's important for people to get treatment if their feelings are so strong that it's preventing them from getting treatment and from going to see a doctor when they need to, then I kind of feel, well, maybe we should accommodate it. But even as I say that, I'm like, so if a white person said, I'm sorry, I only want to see a white doctor, I'd be like, no, that is not acceptable. So am I just being uh, you know, too accommodating? Am I, am I giving up too much when it's not you know, a matter of something that has to do with, you know, some bodily configuration that they share. Uh, so I, I'm a little bit torn, but on the whole, I think it's sexist for the for the patient to want to see a, a male doctor at the same time. I understand you might want to, you know, hire more male providers so that they so that people who want to can be accommodated and therefore get the treatment that they need. Am I being too soft and squishy? I disagree with you, June. Mm. I think it's not sexist at all. Oh, um, I, I will only see uh, women doctors. I think part of it, you know, you never know what a doctor's got going on under their <laughs> right. white jackets, right, uh, or their scrub pants. Um, but you know, you can be reasonably sure that you know you share a certain. Genital configuration, as I think you said, June. I think you said uh, gender identity. I, okay, gender identity. I think there's something about someone, you know, touching your body and certain intimate body parts that it's not weird to want to see somebody who shares a gender with you. Um, I think, you know, that men probably aren't asking to see male providers because they think women are incompetent doctors or because women are incapable of diagnosing or treating them. They're, you know, so-called men's issues or whatever. But uh, I think that it's normal and not strange for somebody to, you know, feel more comfortable talking about what may be really embarrassing or intimate issues with somebody of their own gender. Yeah. I wow. I did not predict that Christina was going to say that. I thought that because I was in the mindset of 1800 Patriarchy Street, I was <laughs> I, I don't always live there. <laughs> I know. But I thought you were going to or say rather like, I visit there occasionally. <laughs> because there is actually a, a just a long sexist history of male doctors mansplaining to women. Right. And that um and that and that there there could be apart from people's individual needs, a kind of desire to um, to have women be the the kind of generic authorities uh, in med medical mm. practice, and particularly something like family practice in the way that men have been the general authority. So it was always taken for granted that a man would know what to do with a woman's body. Um, and so do you need to, do, do you need to just like historically correct and just make women the kind of standard? Because the truth is that a man could see a woman, you know, my closest friend is a is a primary care provider and like she has male patients, she has female patients. And in fact, her male patients love her because she's a woman. So she's like their mom, you know, taps mm -hmm. into other sexist stereotypes. <laughs> right. but, um, but maybe you're right. You don't maybe you don't need to correct the patriarchy in every private yeah, interaction. Forcing men to see women doctors is not necessarily the best way to, to go about correcting that historic wrong. Um, yeah. So can she actually can how can they do that? Do they have to just discriminate quietly against women in the interviews? I mean, you sir, I don't think you can advertise saying men only, men only please. Yeah. 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 That's a great question that we should pose to that listener. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so not sexist. We can say not sexist. See, right? I, I still think it is sexist. And I think because, as I say, I, I definitely think that there are 
times when there is an interest. It's, I mean, for, I, it does seem different for women and for men. I, I seems much more clear to me why a woman would want to see a woman than my than why a man would want to see a man. Wait, what? Why? Because what do you mean? because why? there is this whole history of sexist medicine. And, you know, male doctors being very condescending and, and you know, woman body splaining to women. Uh, whereas, and I think also there are more sort of, there's more gynecological functions and, you know, female body functions than there are male body functions that involve the, the medical providers. <laughs> That's Am I crazy. Wrong about what that? about the whole, like, turn your head and cough situation? Yeah, I, mean, I have they, erectile dysfunction. I have exactly. a business on my prostate. I have, yeah, you know, you know so there's, I there's, can't have sex, whatever there's, it is. There's like. dick issues, but women have... <laughs> Have also uh, reproductive issues that that men have fewer of. You know, that men don't go. Men aren't supposed to go to a particular doctor about their their gender anatomy on a regular basis. I don't know how how often women are supposed to go. I haven't been for years. But. I love June woman splaining man bodies right now. <laughs> it's like it's just like a it's just like a trunk with a dick. That's, what do they need it's a doctor really for? Simple, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to continue as if you hadn't said anything. But I so so I do think there's a I do think it's sexist, but I also do see that um it, as long as it's not about disrespecting female providers, then I do think it should be accommodated as much as it can. I don't know how they go about doing it because if they get like fantastic female applicants, and mediocre male applicants, are they really going to take the male because they really need a male doctor uh, or, Ooh, you're or provider? You're making an uh, anti-affirmative action argument here. Why don't we just weigh it on the scale a little more? Like that can okay. be one of the things they take into account yeah. that men might prefer to see a male provider, but it doesn't have to be an absolute. Like when they're interviewing their candidates, if it's like a fabulous female candidate, they shouldn't discount her, but they can give some weight to the fact that men, that you they know, have a shortage in that area. Weight. Yeah. Yeah, the shortage in that area. Okay, somewhat sexist. Hi, I'm Dana Agee from Nashville, Tennessee. And my is it sexist question is, are teachers living and working in a very sexist institution? Teachers are expected to be selfless. That's part of why we're expected to take less pay, to work extra hours without extra compensation, to go to trainings over the summer and weekends, even when we're 10-month contract employees. And I really believe that it is very sexist that teachers are expected to do all this extra work without extra compensation or without extra negotiating power in their job. And a big piece of me thinks that teachers are allowing sexism to really just kind of take over their lives by accepting these jobs for the sake of a labor of love. Thanks for the show. I love you all very much, and I'm glad to call in today. Bye-bye. All right, I'll start. Um, I don't know about the particulars because I think a lot of people in lots of different situations work overtime and not compensated for them, particularly in creative fields. I will say, as a parent who's been through many schools, I often kind of, I think on a societal level, it's definitely sexist. It is definitely one of the great examples of a profession that's undervalued and underpaid because women work in it. Full stop, period. That is the reason we don't pay teachers as much as teachers should be paid. I often look around the school and I'm like, wow, this is just a giant matriarchy of people who work really hard and are very selfless and are totally underpaid. Um, and that, and we have a female principal. It's not like, you know, it's not like we have a big sort of patriarchal situation in our school. I just feel like, um, like it is, it is, it is a glaring area of sexism in our day-to-day -day life, how, how schools are. I was really surprised that, I, you know, I've never having attended a, a school in the United States, I was, you know, kind of looking up, well, how many teachers are women? And I was surprised at the extent of female domination of the field, like more than three quarters of kindergarten to high school teachers are women. And that's up from two thirds 30 years ago. So it's, it's becoming more and more female dominated. In elementary and middle schools, more than 80% of teachers are women. Um, in high schools... 42% um, of high school teachers are male, but men who do go into teaching are promoted more. Nearly half of school principals are men. 
So there is this incredible, like, and I could quote more of this kind of statistic. Like, it was just shocking to me that 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 was the situation. Um, And it seems really clear that, as you said, Hannah, this situation wouldn't be so. There would be better terms and conditions if there were more men in the field. And probably more men don't come into the field because of the terms and conditions. That said, there are certain reasons why Apparently, it is more attractive to women, uh, again, because of patriarchal conditions where women are expected to do more childcare. A lot of women do prefer teaching because essentially they work the same hours as their kids. You know, a very similar schedule, Uh, you know, the summer's off and it's a very uh, easier, it's much easier to return to teaching after, you know, taking time out for having kids than it is in other fields, again, because of the female domination that's one of the reasons why I feel it's like a cementing of sexism because yeah. teacher is one of those things that kind of like fixes every stereotype in place. Like, mm. why don't dads want to have the summers off with their kids? Yeah. And it turns out to be somewhat of a myth that they work the same hours as their children because teachers have to come in wicked early so yeah. they can almost never take their own kids to school. Like my friends who are teachers and my relatives who are teachers actually have a more stressful life because like you go in thinking that, but then it's like, oh shit, turns out I have to stay for another two hours to yeah. grade the paper. Right. It's actually a really hard job. And yeah. so... So um, and and it cements the idea that like women do it because it's their role to be home earlier mm-hmm. because their kids are home earlier. Like mm-hmm. and also it's like there's some sort of like cultural. I bet there is like a cult in the same way when we talked about male nurses that there's a little bit of cultural discomfort with say male elementary school teachers. Mm, yeah, like every yeah. single stereotype is kind yeah. of echoed and reinforced in the um, in the massive gender imbalance in schools, which yeah. is not great for boys either. Like, why doesn't my son have a single... He has never had a male teacher. Yeah. Really? It's insane. So he has no, like, he has no... My little son, so he's no image in his head of like, oh, it's totally fine to be like a male second grade teacher. Actually, wow. there, was, there is one... There is one male third grade teacher in the school. It just happened to be not be his teacher. But there's so yeah. few role models, so it just gets, like, perpetuated and perpetuated. Yeah. yeah. And on, on the... On its face, I would initially think that was great that all these male kids are forced to have, you know, female leaders in their lives. But I think when you're talking about especially elementary school teachers and even middle school teachers, it's like, you know, they're taking the place of of your mom. Yes. And then the men are off somewhere doing the real work. Until high school. being the principals, like June said. <laughs> right. Or being the principal. Yeah, it does. It should work that way, but it doesn't yeah. end up working that way because it's just too, it's too glaring. Like if it was like 40, 60 percent, it would feel a little more even. Anyway, you go, sister. We're yeah. with you on this one. 100 yeah. percent sexist. Now we're going to do one that we got through email from Danielle Kincaid. Christina, do you want to read her letter? Sure. I'm a 29-year-old divorced mom to a toddler, and I also am working full-time at a not-so-great job while putting myself through grad school for a second master's degree. Wow, Danielle. Somehow, I find myself dating a wonderful guy who is just great to me and my child. He's very much a quote-unquote woke bae who supports my ambitions and loves my mind. The only real problem is that there's a major difference in our finances. He's self-employed and having a record year while I'm supporting my little family without a lot of wiggle room. He enjoys travel and the finer things in life, but is self-made and appreciates simple things, too. Is it sexist for me to let him pay my way? In the beginning, we joked about date nights being on him because it was the least he could do with the wage gap. But recently, we've had a few weekends away while my child was with its father, and I couldn't help doing the mental addition of cost. Furthermore, as things get more serious, he's started giving me some pretty lavish gifts in blue boxes with white ribbon. (laughs) How do I reconcile feminism with the perks of my relationship? This one is really hard. Yeah, I love that euphemism, blue boxes with white ribbon, (laughs) and it rhymes with (laughs) schmiffinies. Oh, boy. I'm going to start this because I've always been just astonished to learn that in heterosexual dating— in many, in fact, it seems most cases, the man is expected to pay, at least in the early dates. And I totally get, you know, from visiting 1800 Patriarchy Street, that men typically earn more, that they, you know, there's just a lot more sort of wiggle room for them. But it still feels very unfair in general. However, given that in this case, in this particular specific case, 
there has been a kind of a, you know, it's been an open discussion that there is, you know, there's, there is an inequality. He's fine with it. You, maybe you should learn to be fine with it, Danielle, because it sounds like if the roles were reversed and you had a similar situation and, again, there was this kind of communication and just talking about, like, are we okay with this, you would pay more than your fair share if, if you had more to give. So although the whole underpinnings of heterosexual dating seem kind of sexist to me, I also think that in this particular case... It's more just a reflection of reality and not particularly sexist. Like you do seem just to be doing this with all eyes open. And that feels much more just it's a matter of this particular people, these particular people and their circumstances. I agree. I don't think it's sexist. Uh, I think it would be sexist if he were demanding things from Danielle. Like, you yeah. know, I paid for this trip. I need you to, you know, clean my house while mm-hmm. I'm off working mm-hmm. at my self-employed whatever startup. Yeah. Um I think this is like you said June, uh it's it feels like just a reflection of the reality of their financial situations. It sounds like they have a fantastic relationship. So, uh yeah, I hope Danielle can learn to enjoy and not feel guilty about, you know, the feminist implications of accepting a Wait a minute. Gift. Wait a minute. What happened to the Uh-oh. why? <laughs> why isn't it just, just like the Joss Whedon situation where like there even though like why do we care about the particulars of these two individuals? Like weren't didn't we start the show saying that's like the weight of the patriarchy on every relationship? Yes. And so like he carries the history of what June calls uh, the, you know, the sort of shockingly uh, sexist structure of all heterosexual relationships. So if it were reversed, we would be totally cool with it, but it's not reversed. So so isn't that where the complication comes in? Like as much as they love each other and everything's cool, aren't they representing? This is like what stay-at-home moms always worried about. Like even though it's a particular decision that comes out of particular considerations, aren't they representing something that uh, that props up the patriarchy. Ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, uh, for me, the fact that she is working a full-time job and putting herself through grad school also makes a difference. So it's not like she is, you know, not working because he's paying for all of her daily needs. It's that, um, you know, they both want to go on a trip together. He's able to pay and she's not. Um at this, my, at this moment in time. At this moment in time, right. Okay, and I, okay, I do think okay. that at a certain point, you know, maybe she'll be able to contribute more when she's not paying for school. Uh, but if not, you know, I think I might also be biased because I am in a relationship where I'm a journalist and my partner is a, you know, PR VP. So I'm in a relationship where the more feminine partner is earning a lot less. And it took me a while to get comfortable with having her pay for things. Uh, and then... I got to a point where I I figured, you know, this is I don't want to hold my partner back from, Mm -hmm. you know, going out to dinner or something because I can't pay. And if she is willing to pay, then, you know, I can get over myself. I also think it makes a difference that he's uh, from this question, at least it seems like he is putting in the work with, you know, well, I'll take that back. I don't know if he's actually helping care for her child, but um, yeah, the blue boxes and white. I was like, oh, is he moving towards a more traditional? <laughs> you know, that was the one thing where it felt like, oh, mm-hmm. is he is he moving toward like like in my experience of heterosexual dating, uh, <laughs> which is the only kind of dating I've done, you can get a whiff. And I, I was I without even being conscious of this in my twenties, I knew it of men who are who have that expectation deep in their soul, no matter what words are coming out of their mm. mouth. Like I didn't know that that's how I was choosing a man, but that is how I was choosing a man huh. in retrospect. Uh-huh. So like everybody's a woke bay, probably that I you know that I dated right. certainly by the standards of woke bay in my day and so it was like but you just kind of knew like it was in the way they talked about their mom like you could see that if their vision of their future life 
involved a hierarchy or not. Because mm-hmm. I realized, as you were talking about your personal situation, that my personal situation is pro- – my personal opinions are probably influenced by the fact that my husband and I were equals for the most part. Like, mm-hmm. we worked relatively equal jobs. We made about the same amount of money, like one more, one less, one year or another year. But, like, I, I really haven't been in this situation, so I haven't had to really, like, grapple yeah. with what it would be like. Hello. This is Kelly, and my question is, my boss has a three-person team. There are two females and one male. For the holidays this year, he gave us some wine. The females got white, and the male got red. Is this sexist? Thank you. I love that so much. (laughs) Oh, boy. I ran this by everyone, like the ladies I work with, and they were Uh. like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is kind of a hilariously clear-cut example of sexism. Like, you didn't even try to hide it there. The boss, you know, the ladies like their Chardonnay. (laughs) (laughs) But is it sexist or stereotypy? Or, like, what is it? It I think the is it, I think the confusion comes from the fact of, like, is it harmful? Like, it's clearly, like, like, like I don't know, sex stereotypist or something. Mm-hmm. But, like, it, what does it say about why do we, we laugh at it? It's really funny and it's kind of gauche. But is it sexist implies that it causes harm in the world or, I, I guess because right? it feels like it's, you know, if we're making these distinctions for things like wine, it just reveals something. It reveals that that the boss thinks of the women differently than he thinks of the man on the team. And so even though in this particular case, yeah, whatever, whether you get a bottle of Pinot Grige instead of a bottle of, <laughs> uh, I don't know, Tempranillo, like that is in itself pretty or even totally harmless. It just reveals something about the way the boss thinks, which is kind of disturbing. And I think the stereotype that women like white wine stems from this idea that women have less sophisticated palates, that they they can only handle sweet drinks and not, you know, full-bodied, whatever, dry drinks. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was thinking it's like a manly thing, like like red meat and red wine. Like the men (laughs) get the kind of earthy, bloody bloody drink. (laughs) (laughs) The mead. Oh, my God. So is your sexist? Yes. 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 <laughs> you don't have to quit your job. You just have to like, you know, maybe you just have to like make fun of your, find ways to make fun of his gender. And drink scotch at work. Drink scotch <laughs> wear overalls every day, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to do our last question before our recommendations. Hi, Double X. This is Catherine. Um, my question is, is it sexist to think that a man's skinny pants are too skinny? No one ever seems to complain that a woman woman's pants are too tight, at least not too often. But somehow um, it's common to say, like, oh, that guy's pants are way too tight. <laughs> All right. Thanks. <laughs> um, I have to say I uh, take great pleasure in men wearing skinny pants <laughs> and dealing with their beards and their hair and all that shit because I'm like, that's right. That's how it is, gentlemen. <laughs> it is a pain in the ass and it is uncomfortable. And welcome to my world. So I'm always really happy. But I've never thought a guy's pants were too tight. Really? Yeah, that's why I was wondering, like, too skinny for your taste, too skinny for the workplace. Um, I agree with you, Hannah, that uh, I think the more men wearing skinny pants and experiencing, like, pelvic discomfort, the better. (laughs) better. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think complaining about the tightness of a guy's pants just because there might be some bulges that you don't necessarily see in a woman's tight pants. uh, Yeah, that's probably sexist. Uh, So, yeah, stop complaining about people's pants being too tight, no matter the gender. See, I have definitely thought, wow, that guy's pants are tight. <laughs> You're so sexist. I know, right? I'm realizing that now. But I, So I don't think it's, I mean, maybe it is sexist to think it, but I don't think it's a problem. But I do think it would be a problem to, like, say it out loud. I mean, in most situations, if you're just really just in a kind of sip and dish mode, then sure, you can talk about anything. You know, the world's your oyster. But it, it doesn't seem any less wrong to discuss 
the specifics or to critique the specifics of a man's appearance than a woman's appearance. So your view is it's but just think it by all means. What's sexist? But think it by all means. What's what's sexist about it is the same thing that like we just shouldn't comment on if we want it to be better for women. We just shouldn't comment on you know Paul Ryan's pecs or whatever. Like we should never just mention how people look or anything well, like that. I said that sounds so that like deprives the world of so many good topics of conversation. I mean Paul Ryan's oversized suits. That's a great topic, and I don't really feel sexist for having talked about that. <laughs> but I don't know something like there. There are degrees of these things, like the way a person wears their pants, especially if it's that they're very tight and revealing. Then that 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 moves into sort of territory that maybe is too personal. Whereas, like, just some basic, you know, critiquing. I think I don't. I don't want to take that off the table. Just out of curiosity, do you ever, as you're walking down the street, think women's pants are too tight? I'm just curious. I don't think I don't often think they're too tight. I do notice that sometimes people wear unflattering garments, and sometimes sometimes <laughs> that's because they're too tight. But I don't really. It doesn't. I can't say that men's over tight pants bothers me. I just kind of think, wow, you know, gosh, that seems awfully tight. And I think typically it's at the workplace. Um, because, you know, I think men tend to just kind of wear the same pants wherever, whereas women are more likely to have, I mean, in a casual tight workplace, of course, um, women tend to have, um, you know, more, more distinguished wardrobes for, uh, work and leisure, uh, more, more distinct wardrobes for work and leisure. So I don't know. It, it doesn't, I can't say that it, like, I ew, too tight or anything like that. It just... I just notice it more about guys, I guess, because it surprises me more. Yeah, I think I would appreciate it. I mean, if I lived in New York, I'd probably roll my eyes because every man would have his pants like <laughs> tailored and too tight. But it's not really the case here. So I, I appreciate a man. I'm with you, Christina. A man, like a well-tailored man, it's it's fine. Just yeah. like yeah. the well-tailored woman. It's just nice to look at. I, and I agree with that. All right. So what did we decide about that one? Um I don't think it's sexist to think it, but I think it's just as sexist to say to kind of call out a man's pants as it would be to call out a woman's clothing. Okay, that's a good place to land. All right. Well, thank you all listeners for your fabulous, fabulous questions. I love your is it sexist in your life questions. They really teach us a lot. And I would say keep them coming because when we get good ones, we sometimes use them for our Slate Plus is it sexist segment. Um, and before we get to Slate Plus, let us um, do our recommendations. June, why don't you go first today? So this is an unusual type of recommendation for me because I don't really know many children's books. But I read and came, came across and read and totally loved a children's book, um, you know, one of those illustrated books, you know, for the for the tiny tots. It's called Tea with Oliver and it's by Mika Song. And it's the cutest thing. It's about letter writing. It's about a cat called Oliver who wants to have a tea party and the mouse who lives under his couch, Filbert, wants to have a tea party with him, but he doesn't know how. So he's writing letters to Oliver and the letters kind of, you know, there's like a Tess of the Durbervilles thing where the letters don't get delivered properly. And when they finally when the letters, you know, reach their destination and they communicate, it's the most wonderful thing. And also the artwork is fantastic. So Tea with Oliver, it's, it's one of the best books I've read in a long time. Oh, my God. That was the cutest thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> that was so cute. I have to say that as my um, my children have aged out of illustrated books and like here, I love illustrated books. Children's books are just like in, they're just like a, they're just cultural artifacts, and they're yeah. so beautiful, and we don't yeah. give them nearly as much love yeah. as they deserve. They are fabulous, and I'm so sad to be out of that <laughs> era of reading and looking at illustrated books. They are just beautiful. I love them. Um, okay, well, there's a little bit of a theme to our recommendations because I'm recommending a kind of book that I I read a lot of great things and watched a lot of great things while I was on vacation. Oh, yeah. um, but the one I'm about to recommend is a genre of book I never read, which is apocalyptic, um, <laughs> which everyone else in my family reads. And I'm just like, ugh. <laughs> They're all the same. So, um, but I read this book by a local author named Daniel Wilson, local that is to Portland, Oregon, which is where I was vacationing. And it's called Robopocalypse. And it's by Daniel Wilson. And it is, 
it was it was optioned by Steven Spielberg, and I really hope he makes the movie because it's another one of these kind of AI robot apocalypse things. But it actually totally convinced me that the robots are coming, <laughs> and so it taught me exactly how that was going to happen. So it was simultaneously educational <laughs> as well as apocalyptic, um, and it's amazing. It's written in these kind of separate chapters of sort of like how the robots come and the sort of these particular incidents. It's incredibly visual, and um, and then and then just kind of the heroes that are going to take our world back. And it's a book about like what makes us human. It's amazing. Wow, anyway. sounds great. Yeah, I loved it. Okay, Christina. Uh, so I recently watched The Incredible Jessica James on Netflix. Um, it's uh, It stars Jessica Williams, who I love. I don't know if I would recommend the movie as a whole. Um, I actually didn't think it was a great vehicle for her uh, comedic chops, which I really appreciate. Um, however, there are two things that I would like to recommend about it. The first is the soundtrack. Um, it features a local to D.C., uh, band X Hex, one of my favorites. Um, and I've been listening to the Spotify playlist since I watched the movie. The main thing I want to recommend about it is uh, the baby shower scene. I don't think I have felt so seen by a scene in a movie <laughs> in a long time. So uh, the the premise is this woman who's sort of like this, uh, you know, creative feminist from New York goes back home to, I think, Ohio um, to her younger sister's baby shower. And she's just sort of surrounded by like suburban horrors. And uh, like her sister doesn't want her to wear her crazy jumpsuit to her baby shower. And uh, she gives her sister this like feminist book. I think it's like P is for patriarchy or something like that. And <laughs> she's just met with these blank stares by all of like the moms and suburban friends of her little sister. And, uh, you know, having recently been through the pageantry of my own sister's baby shower and baby's birth and, uh, you know, wedding showers and uh, all of the other trappings of 1800 pa patriarchy streets. <laughs> it was amazing to watch this uh, memorialized in a film. And I think the, you know, there's like clips of like death metal or something when they show like all the weird like gender reveal-y type. It's a, it was so good. And uh, yeah, if you don't watch the movie, at least try to fast forward to that scene. Oh, that sounds amazing. Even for me. All right. Before we go, I'd just like to do a little plug for another Slate podcast, the Audio Boot Club. Um, this is one of Slate's longest running podcasts, currently sort of ring led by the great Katie Waldman. Um, so they, you know, discuss new and important books. And the August book is Arundhati Roy's The Ministry of Utmost Happiness. Um, it hasn't been recorded yet, but it will be available next week. And it's going to be Katie Isaac Chotner, who's interviewed Roy uh, for his podcast, I Have to Ask, and the great Slate Books critic, Laura Miller. I think that's going to be a spectacular episode and it will be available next week. Thank you, June. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks to our fabulous producer, Viralyn Williams. Thanks to our wonderful intern, Daniel Schrader. For Christina and June, I'm Hannah Rosen, and we will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.